Hi, folks. Welcome back to Vox Tablet. It's me, Sarah Ivry. Today, the journalist and novelist who established American Jewry's most important newspaper. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably have some sense that we're part of Tablet Magazine, an online Jewish publication that's been around for several years now. We're part of a long-standing tradition of Jewish media, and many of the critical arguments about identity and about politics that you read in our pages echo arguments readers found more than 100 years ago in the pages of the Jewish Daily Forward, then a Yiddish-only paper better known as the Forwards. For most of its first 50-plus years, the Forward was edited by its founder, Abraham Kahn. Khan was a Lithuanian immigrant and a socialist who came to this country, the United States, at the age of 22 in 1882. Within five years, he'd established himself as a leader of the Jewish immigrant community and as an industrious reporter with friends like Lincoln Steffens, the muckraking journalist, and William Dean Howells, the great literary critic. There is so much more to his story. I learned all about it in a new biography of Khan's life by Seth Lipsky. Lipsky was the founding editor in 1990 of the English-language Jewish Daily Forward. His book is called The Rise of Abraham Kahn. It's the latest addition to Next Book's Jewish Encounter series, and Seth Lipsky joins us to talk about Kahn's life and work. Seth Lipsky, welcome to Vox Tablet. Thank you. It's nice to be here. To say that Abraham Kahan was the editor of a Jewish newspaper doesn't really capture his status or stature in the world of American Jewry. And really in world jewelry. I mean, he was quite a prominent figure in his lifetime. Can you give our listeners a sense of what sort of role he played in his day? I like to say that one could write a novel about the year 1897. One thing that happened that year was the first World Zionist Congress, which met in Basel, Switzerland, and launched the movement that stood for the idea that the redemption of the Jews would be found in a return to Israel. The second thing that happened was a secret meeting in in Vilna of an organization that became known as the General Association of Jewish Workers, Bund. And it stood for the idea that the salvation of the Jews uh, lay in socialism and Jews should stay right where they were in Europe and pursue socialism. Uh, The same year was founded the Jewish Daily Forward, which came under Kahn basically to stand for the idea that the salvation of the Jews lay in America. Uh, Kahn built the paper up preaching uh, the ideals of socialism, but also the relative virtues of America compared to uh, non-free countries, and uh, encouraged his uh, readers uh, by the millions over the decades to become Americans, to learn English, uh, to adopt uh, American ways. Uh, the paper's most famous feature was a letters to the editor column known as the Bintel Brief, uh, or Bundle of Letters, uh, which uh, involved uh, publishing a letter and then the answer to it by the sages at the forward. Uh, and so uh, the forward came to fulfill this very important role of guide and teacher and encourager and inspirator of uh, Yiddish-speaking immigrants uh, to America. To the extent that Kahan is familiar to listeners, it's probably as a journalist or as a novelist. I wonder if you could fill us in a little bit before we get into his professional pursuits uh, about his background. Where did he come from? What was his family life like as a child? What was he fleeing? Well, he came from Eastern Europe, from a very uh, religious family. 
uh, not uh, wealthy, but not dirt poor. They uh, kept a saloon at one point. Uh, he was educated Jewishly, which uh, is an important fact, uh, but he eventually uh, began to come under the uh, sway, the excitement of the underground socialist movements, and he eventually emerged as a radical revolutionary in the underground, and after the Tsar uh, uh, was assassinated, he um, had to get out of Russia, and he eventually made his way uh, to the United States. How did he wind up uh, in journalism? He, he was penniless when he arrived in New York, and he immediately found his comrades from the uh, socialist movement in Russia, and he moved in with them. Uh, he began going to night school. He began attending lectures. Then he stood up and spoke at one of these lectures, uh, and he began uh, writing for various publications, and uh, uh, he was uh, terrific at it. He and his uh, socialist friends eventually decided to form a paper. There were several false starts, uh, and eventually in 1897, they brought out the um, forward. How unusual was it at that time for a newspaper man to also, to some extent, be a politician? I mean, he wasn't running for office, but he definitely uh, was a political figure. You know, it's a terrific question. The modern conception of a newspaper that is supposed to be objective and a profession uh, really didn't exist in quite the same way at that time. First, there was the tradition in Europe where there were party papers that were clearly allied and even financed by a political cause. Uh, the forward was named after the Social Democratic uh, paper in uh, Germany. And it's financial backing in the forwards uh, came from the socialist movement. Kahn founded the forward in 1897, but not long after he founded it, he fell into a feud with the socialists uh, who wanted it operated as essentially a party paper, and he left. And the paper he went to work for was uh, called the uh, Commercial Advertiser. He was brought over to the Commercial Advertiser by Lincoln Steffens. And that's where Kahn learned modern newspapering. It was on the uh, commercial advertiser that he first made a telephone call, which he writes about in his memoirs, uh, which is a very scary moment for him. He had a story. He was at police headquarters. He had gotten a story, and it was too late to... Uh, schlep it over to the newspaper, and uh, Jacob Reese, who was a legendary figure in, in journalism, worked for The Sun, I said, well, you're going to have to phone it in, and Khan <laughs> had this terror. Uh, he spent several years at the Advertiser and also wrote for that period for The New York Sun, and when he returned to the forward and was given basically dictatorial power over the paper, he was a much better much more modern, much more professional newspaper man, and he was um, bound for glory at that point. Under his editorship, the forward took some very strong stands on political issues. What, to your mind, were some of the most influential positions that the forward put forward? <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> no, it's a well-put question. It's, it, it's a well-put question. The forward was unmistakably a pro-socialist 
paper. I mean, I like to joke uh, that if a taxi collided with a bus, it would write, you know, um, a capitalist riding in a luxury <laughs> taxi crashed into a, a busload of noble workers riding in uh, <laughs> in workers' transportation. I mean, that's an exaggeration. But, I mean, it viewed the world through the lens of its political struggle. To me, though, as the story of Khan progresses, what makes him so interesting is the way he grappled with errors of his movement and corrected them. Uh, In other words, he just wasn't an ideologue who started in 1860 and died 90 years later uh, on the same trajectory. He kept making these very significant course corrections. So one of the earliest that I deal with in this book is that prior to World War I, the left was in the peace camp. It was against uh, America's entry into the war, and all the socialist parties in other countries in Europe were against the entry of their countries into the war. And then an amazing thing happened, which is that once war, in fact, did erupt, in each country, the socialist parties withdrew from the socialist universalist ideology and fell in behind their governments. That happened in Germany and Belgium and France and in America. It was a lesson in the fact that it was not going to be possible for socialism to just defeat nationalism as an idea. Uh, So another one was uh, communism. Kahn was an early extremely clear-eyed convert to the anti-communist movement. So that was the second course correction. You know, another one was Zionism, and in that might have been one of the most important course corrections that he made, maybe the most important. I I wouldn't use the word anti-Zionist to describe the forward's early stance. It was, in a way, worse. It was condescending, Mm -hmm. bemused, you know, these dreamers, you know, uh, they're not serious people. Uh, And then the newspaper man made his peace with reality. He made a very important trip to Palestine in 1925. One of the things about that trip is that by that point, he was a titanic figure. And the Israelis comprehended that when Khan arrived in, in pre-state Palestine, it was a big, big event for the Zionist movement. I, I don't have the book open in front of me, but Ben-Gurion himself uh, is quoted in the book as telling his movement that this is a tremendous opportunity for Israel because what Khan says is what's going to happen in America. And in fact, what Khan said is that our socialists and workers are doing astounding things in Israel. They are just uh, remarkable, and it was affecting to him and emotionally affecting. Uh, His dispatches from Palestine uh, were voluminous, and one can see plowing through them a titanic and superbly honest and realistic newspaper man coming to grips with the fact that an ideology 
in Zionism that he had sneered at and 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 condescended to for so long was in fact on its way to triumph. He also, uh, as you point out in your book, uh, was not afraid to have public feuds with rivals. Uh, and you describe some tremendous showdowns in the biography. I wonder if you can share with our listeners some of the more memorable disputes or the ones that made a, a significant impression on you, at least. Well, you know, there's a famous essay in American letters by Mark Twain called Journalism in Tennessee, which is about the genre of one newspaper attacking another newspaper. It's a hilarious story in it. And there was a tremendous amount of journalism in Tennessee on the Lower East Side of New York mm -hmm. and in the other New York papers. They were always uh, slamming each other, and there were lots of those feuds. But the one that I dwell on toward the end of the book is not a feud between two rival newspapers. It's a much more significant feud between Khan and his star writer, uh, Shalamash. So at some point, this would be in the late 1930s, Shalamash comes into the paper and he plops onto Khan's desk a novel called The Nazarene. Now, Ash was a giant. I mean, he was on people's lists of the 10 greatest living Jews and the 10 Jews most likely to get the Nobel Prize and all that sort of thing. Uh, the Nazarene was a novel that uh, one critic described as uh, arguing, in effect, that Jews should treat Jesus the way Christians treat Jesus. And Khan, who had always described himself as a free thinker, which was, uh, you know, jargon for atheist, looked at this novel, and he went into a titanic rage. He wanted the novel destroyed. He drove Ash out of the office. He banned him from the forward. He wrote an entire book attacking Ash. And this went on for, you know, months or, or even years uh, he wanted to destroy his greatest writer uh, on a charge of apostasy. And it illustrated the combative nature, I mean, of, of journalism and of Khan's personality, his dictatorial personality. I happen to think he was right. Uh, the most interesting thing about it to me is that it illuminated his inner psyche and his inner values. And here I, I have to back up a little and talk about what I actually think is his greatest achievement. I mean, the foreword was a tremendous achievement, but his novel, The Rise of David Levinsky, is a timeless achievement that will go on for generations. And it, it, it also illustrates another thing about Khan. The people who knew him best, and I think particularly of this editorial writer, David Shub, concluded that where what Khan really lived for, what he really loved and dreamt about, was not religion, was not Zionism, was not anti-Zionism, was not socialism, was not labor unions, although he lived for all of those. But what really got him was Russian literature. You know, uh, the painter Angra was one of the greatest painters uh, in Europe. 
uh, one of the greatest painters ever, but painting wasn't what he really loved. What he really loved was to play the violin. I didn't and, know that. and the French had an expression to denote what someone really wanted to do instead of their profession, and that expression is the violon d'angre, or <laughs> angre's violin. And Kahn's violon d'angre was writing novels. He just loved it. And his greatest piece of fiction, this novel, The Rise of David Levinsky, is something that he uh, wrote as a serial and brought out as a novel in 1917. And it tells the story of a of a penniless Orthodox Jewish lad who arrives in America and gradually loses his religion but works his way up in the garment trade and and revolutionizes it and becomes an extremely wealthy tycoon, shedding his religion, uh, kind of losing his soul, spending a lot of time in brothels and kind of unfulfilled person but enormously successful. And the novel ends with with Levinsky alone at the age of 57, unmarried, uh, not really fulfilled, but very, very rich. And uh, the novel begins with a famous paragraph in which Levinsky is noting that all of his worldly goods mean nothing to him. Uh, and he still thinks of himself as this yeshiva boy, um, swaying over his texts and to me it's an astounding thing that late in his life the one thing Khan really went to the mat on worse than, more than anything else more than the socialism, the communism the Zionism was he didn't want to follow uh, Shalamash uh, into uh, an apostasy uh, uh, of the most basic tenets of the Jewish religion how did you first come to know about the foreword and about Abraham Kahn? So my mother spoke about the foreword. My father's family read the foreword. So I knew of him. How, when, I don't really know. Uh, I was foreign editor of the Wall Street Journal in 1983 when it was announced that the foreword was retreating to weekly publication from Daily. And I asked someone to see if I could get in to see the editor of the foreword, a man named Simon Weber, a giant, by the way. He's a magnificent editor. He was in the hospital with a broken hip, and I ended up going to the hospital to uh, meet him. And uh, I liked him immediately, and uh, I think he liked me. He, he thought my idea of, of leaving the Wall Street Journal, where he had this conception of how much money I was making that would have made me a Rockefeller uh, <laughs> to go purchase, which is what I was proposing the forward with an idea to bringing it out in English and restoring it to daily publication. He thought it was an insane idea and he also thought it was offensive in that the ideology of the forward by the 1980s had been largely swung behind the preservation of the idea of the Yiddish language itself and keeping an organ going in Yiddish. So the idea of purchasing the forward for the purpose of bringing it out in English was not only uh, you know, chimerical to him, but it was kind of uh, what you would say uh, counterproductive. But he liked me. We were, mm -hmm. you know, He was a terrific guy. And uh, in December of 1983, I... 
I took him to dinner. And as I was leaving my office, I uh, was walking past the desk of one of the editors on the foreign desk, uh, a woman named Amity Schles, and I asked her if she would like to meet the editor of the forward. And she said, oh, she'd love to. And I said, well, meet me at the Cafe Argentoy at 7 o'clock. And so the four of us had dinner, Mrs. Weber, Amity, Cy Weber, and me. Amity spent the whole dinner talking Yiddish with Simon Weber. I, I don't speak Yiddish. And I spent the dinner talking to Mrs. Weber. And uh, at the uh, end of the dinner, I went off uh, and had a drink with Amity, and we decided to get married. And uh, <laughs> and Sai uh, was just thrilled at all this. And we ended up uh, again uh, at uh, at Cy Weber's apartment. That was in July of 1984 for a Sunday brunch. And uh, I was then foreign editor of the Wall Street Journal. And when we sat down to this lovely brunch of, you know, smoked salmon and all that stuff, I announced proudly uh, that the Wall Street Journal had just come out in principle for a constitutional amendment that would declare that America had open borders and we would never again have uh, immigration controls like the Johnson Act. At that point, Weber weighs me out onto his balcony, which was on the 25th floor, I think, of amalgamated labor housing or something like that in Coney Island. So we're overlooking a part of New York where immigrant languages are spoken as far as the eye can see, and the editor of the forward waves his finger in my face and says, I know you guys from the Wall Street Journal. You just want cheap labor. <laughs> and I think it was at that moment that I began to realize how wonderful it would be to get into the political fray in America from the editorship of the forward. The journalistic landscape and also the Jewish landscape under which Khan was operating is very different from the one that exists today. What do you see as the role of a Jewish newspaper in our day? You know, you keep asking these wonderful questions. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 could, I could talk for an hour on this one. Uh, you know, there was a great deal of controversy about the forward, most of it uh, under my editorship, most of it not terribly interesting. But when I left, uh, one of the things that was said about it that was most pleasing to me was um, – uh, written by uh, Jonathan Tobin, who was then uh, either editor or managing editor of the Jewish Exponent. And he said, you know, in the old days, the forward could be said to have led Jews toward Americanism, not away from Judaism, but they encouraged them to relax the rules of orthodoxy and embrace American life in its full. And the forward under Lipsky had begun to lead people back to Judaism. Now, I, I wouldn't carry that too far. Uh, I was um, an inadequate leader for that kind of movement. But I think I came to the forward at a time where one of the important stories was the National Jewish Population Survey of 1990, uh, uh, whose contents were broken uh, in a scoop in the forward by Jeffrey Goldberg, which uh, talked about the crisis of intermarriage and the demographic crisis facing the Jewish people. 
And I think there is a very important role for Jewish papers in covering and illuminating and and teaching and and discovering the excitement of uh, the Jewish beat of Jewish life, of Jewish ideas, of the Jewish struggle. Uh, again, I would not. It would not be accurate to call me a leader of that movement. I'm just a newspaper editor. I am remarking that it's a great story, and it's different than the story that Khan covered. Khan covered the story of American life. He obviously covered the important news of the Jewish world. But the Jewish papers today uh, have a, a chance to play a leading role in the in the. Uh, return of Jews to more attention to Jewish life. America has embraced them, but it would be a, um, a tragedy if that embrace were to lead to an abandonment of, of the Jewish life. When I think of your question about the role of Jewish papers, that's one of the important themes of tablets doing that, the forwards doing that, the Jewish exponents doing that. You know, each of these papers in their own way is doing that. Uh, they're all embracing new genres, you know, the podcast, the the video, the, the printed paper, the columns, the weblogs. You know, it's great. I mean, it's just a very great time to be a journalist and a great time to be a Jewish journalist. Seth Lipsky, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Seth Lipsky is the author of The Rise of Abraham Khan. It's out now from Next Book's Jewish Encounter series. You can find out more about all the great titles in this series and how to get yourself a copy of them on our website, tabletmag.com. Vox Tablet is produced by Julie Subrin. I'm Sarah Ivory, your host. We thank you so much for joining us this week, and we hope you'll join us again next week and every week. <laughs>